Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> so one thing that I really enjoy is I enjoy golf. I love to golf. I enjoy golfing. I like to go just hit golf balls on the range, play rounds of golf, whatever. Uh, I like working on my game. I like trying to get better. Um, and one of the things that helps me is uh, I will watch different uh, videos, different guys uh, that coach and give lessons and things like that. And I am helped with pictures, with word pictures. So for example, well, if whenever you golf, if whenever I'm golfing, I sway. I have a tendency to sway and you're not supposed to sway whenever you golf, you're supposed to come back and come back through. And I struggle with that, and I was watching this one guy, and he was like, imagine um, <clears throat> that you're in a, a glass phone booth. I don't know why I'm using this example, because nobody here knows what a phone booth is. Um, but a phone booth, and if you're in a glass phone booth, you don't want to crack the glass. Whenever you swing, you don't want to swing and crack the glass. Okay, well, that gives me a picture that allows my mind to picture something that allows me to kind of then my whole body will function within that and go, okay, I don't want to hit the glass. So I rotate back and then I rotate back through so that I don't sway like this and hit the glass. Sometimes let's be a, uh, an example of, hey, whenever you bring your hand back, you don't want, you need to pronate your wrists and all this kind of stuff. And I, I don't know what pronating wrists are, but okay, have this hand be like you're a waiter, like you're serving, you're holding a tray. Okay, that I can get that. If I get that in my mind, then I think about a waiter. As in, when we get into Ephesians, as you walk through Scripture, a lot of times we're giving metaphors. We're giving word pictures. We're giving things that help us grasp and understand the concepts that are trying to be shared for the reason that we, are, as Christians, our goal should be that we want to get better in our understanding of how God works, how he thinks, what he does, and how we fit into it, how we participate in what God is doing. And so, as we come to close out Ephesians chapter 2, we're given a word picture, we're given some illustrations, some metaphors by Paul that kind of help round out our thinking on how we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to uh, respond to the work of Christ. So, whenever we opened in Ephesians chapter 2, um, we started out, and I was able to teach Ephesians 2.1, and the title of our lesson was A Comprehensive Understanding of Our Condition. And back in Ephesians 2.1, really talking about as you go through that, if you have a study Bible, it probably, the title of the, that section says, By Grace Through Faith. It's what God has done for us. And we participate in it through his election, him drawing us to himself, and by living in faith, believing in faith, the work that Christ did for us. Because we had nothing to offer. It says in Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Remember we talked about the fact dead person has no responses. They can do nothing. They can't respond to anything. So we had nothing to offer. And it goes through and we walked according to the course of this world. We lived according to the course of this world, according to Satan, who is the, the God of this world or the leader of this world. So as we walk through Ephesians chapter 2, then we get into the second part of Ephesians chapter 2, 
and we began to see that it begins to talk about Christ and the work that Christ has done and what Christ has done for us. And it starts in verse 11, and it goes all the way through the end of the chapter. It starts in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. This is what you used to be. Here's what you are now. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. We were at one point separate from Christ. But then he begins to walk through and shows what Christ has done and how we are a part of it. As a believer, what role we play, how we participate. So we get to the end of Ephesians chapter 2. And we get to verse 19. So read along with me. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So Paul opens this, this closing portion of this chapter, and he's really giving a word picture. He's giving some metaphors. He's helping us to understand a believer's oneness with Christ. And that's the title of our lesson today, A Believer's Oneness with Christ. So really the first point that he wants to talk about is A, our present state in Christ. Our present state in Christ. He's directly addressing believers, those that are true believers, that are in Christ, that have made that profession of faith, that have recognized, I have nothing and no ability to be made right to God because of my sin. But I recognize the work that Jesus Christ did, that he came because of God's love for me, for his love for me, and he came and he lived the life that I should have lived, and then he paid the penalty that I should have paid. And I, the only hope that I have to be made right to God is through Jesus Christ. So he's addressing people that have come to that understanding and have accepted that and confessed that. But he's also, if you are not a believer, then the converse, the opposite of these things is going to be true for you. So be mindful as you sit here today, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are being addressed in this. So be thoughtful to what's being said. So A is our present state in Christ. Starts out in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. When it starts out and it says, so then you are, it's talking about our identity. It's our identity. Identity is the distinguishing characteristics or personalities of an individual. Your identity. Now, we tend, and most people tend to identify themselves 
uh, by their areas of greatest accomplishment or success or by their greatest failures, uh, by their beliefs, by where they're from. Um, we hear, we see people all the time, people identified as wealthy, Jeff Bezos, or poor, or athletic, or nerdy, I mean studious. Um, you see people that are readers and people that wait for it to come out in the form of a movie so they don't have to read. That's how they identify themselves as. Um, we see people identifying themselves as little things or big things. Cowboys fans, Denver Broncos fans, uh, construction guy. I'm a construction guy. That's how I kind of identify. Um, I'm an indoors person. I'm an outdoors person. I'm neither. What does that mean? I don't understand. Um, I'm a husband. Your wife, a Republican, a Democrat, a Northerner, a Southerner. There's different ways that people identify themselves as. And what Paul is talking to them about in this chapter, he says, so then you are. And he's giving them the identity that they have in Christ. Paul is saying that, uh, that that is not who you are. I'm a Northerner, I'm a Southerner, I'm a you know, Cowboys fan. Sure, those are characteristics, those are things about me or you or other people that can identify us and that we do associate with. <coughs> but the overriding identity that we have if we have accepted Jesus Christ is what he's sharing with us here. So then you are. That's the theme of Ephesians, our position in Christ, or the eternal plan of God, either one works, but it's our position in Christ, that's who we are, that is our identity. It's not that I'm a, a husband and a golfer, I am those things, but I am in Christ. That is the most important identification that I could possibly have because it's the one thing that counts for eternity. It's the one thing that counts from now throughout eternity, either dictating my participation in the household of God or eternal separation from him. It is the most important factor. The fact that I'm a husband or that I like golf or that I'm a construction guy or I'm a southerner, or whatever, it, those things are me, but those things have zero impact on my eternity. So, that's what Paul wanted to get into the minds and the hearts of the Ephesians. Um, he talks about that, it, actually in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Again, my identity. And it is no longer I who live, lives but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me that's our identity and that's what he's talking about when he starts out and he says so then you are our identity in Christ so he goes then to share, after opening with uh, our present state in Christ, he shares two points or two analogies or metaphors uh, about what we are. Uh, uh, he starts out and he shares two things. 
First of all, number one, what we are not. So he does a Tom Pennington deal in his lesson. Before we get to what we're talking about, we're going to talk about what we're not talking about. He says, what we are not. He said, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. No longer strangers and aliens. Now understand the, this is being said from whose perspective. We are no longer strangers and aliens to God. Before Christ, this is how he viewed us. We were strangers and aliens. What does that mean? A stranger is one in the house of another as a guest or a visitor or as an intruder. It's a person or thing that is unknown or with whom one is unacquainted. I don't know them. They are a stranger. I have never met this person. I encounter strangers all the time in business, people that I've never met that I don't know. And after I walk up and meet them and greet them and I get to know them, okay, now they're no longer a stranger. But before that, they're a stranger. So if that person just walked into my house, even though they might be a nice guy or uh, well-dressed and presents themselves well, bottom line, if they walk into my house and they're a stranger, I'm going to react. I'm going to throw them out. I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. We were strangers and aliens to God. What is an alien? It's not somebody that comes from a ship from outer space. That's not what's being addressed here. It's belonging or relating to another person, place, or thing. Uh, relating or belonging to or owning allegiance to another country or government. Someone that is from far away that comes into our land. Somebody that's not from here. Uh, an example would be somebody that's not from the United States, that they come in from out of the country. Um, another term is foreigner, a person belonging or owing their allegiance to another country. That's how God viewed us before Christ, that we were strangers, I don't know you, and you have an allegiance to another country. Your allegiance is to this world, and the leader of this world is Satan. That's who you are. So, when we are in Christ... What we are not is we are no longer strangers and aliens. So something has changed from God's perspective, and that's the only perspective that matters. Not my perspective of God, but God's perspective of me. But what has changed is we are no longer strangers and aliens. Have you ever been, who here, show of hands, have you been in a foreign country? Have you ever gone... To a foreign country. What are the challenges that you face in a foreign country? When you go to a foreign country, what challenges? Language barrier. It's hard to communicate, right? What else? That's it? Okay. Money. Currency exchange. How does this work? What's the number of rubles to a dollar or Pesos to a dollar, I don't know, and how do I figure this out? What else? The culture. Absolutely. The culture is different. It can be very different. Um, what else? Customs. What about their customs? Am I supposed to shake hands? Am I not supposed to shake hands? 
I remember Mandy telling me, I didn't go on this trip, but uh, Mandy has been to New Zealand. Went with the ministry down there, and whenever they met the Maori people, which is the indigenous tribes to New Zealand, whenever you'd walk up, instead of shaking hands and greeting, they would touch noses. And she was like, this is so weird. Like people I don't know that are complete strangers and aliens to me are coming up and they want to touch noses. But that's their custom. That's what they do. That would throw me off. Be like, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, what's going on here? But that's what they do. Um, customs are different. Traditions are different. Food is different. Directions are different. How you get from one place to another. You can't read the signs. There's currency issues. There could be health challenges because of the water and the food. We've seen that before. Um, I don't understand the leadership structure, the authority structure uh, in a new country or a town that I go to. These are all things. And then we have to travel to get there. There's the travel aspect of it. All these things are challenges when we are strangers and aliens. In the same way, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, God's ways are going to be like that to you. When you read scripture and you're like, I don't get that, I don't understand that, it's going to be confusing. It's not going to be, because the only way we understand it is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The way he draws us, that's what we, that's what we get and have the opportunity to participate in as believers. Apart from that, we are strangers and aliens to everything about God and who he is. But we know who he is. Because it says in Scripture that God has written his word on our hearts. Every single person, had the truth about God is written on our hearts. That's why we know whenever a little kid steals a cookie, and you say, did you steal that cookie? No. They lie about it out of fear. What, what, what are you doing? But then they come and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, I did that. The only reason they know that anything is right or wrong is because God has written it on their hearts. And they know, we know. That's what God has done for us. So he says, what we are is we are no longer strangers and aliens. Number two, uh, I'm sorry, that was what we are not. Number two, what we are. What we are. What we are is we are united together in God's kingdom. It says that we are fellow citizens with the saints. Verse 19, second part, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. MacArthur's commentary says, whether believers were previously apart from God and his people or whether they were previously nearby, they became one in Jesus Christ. Whether they were former strangers and outcasts or former aliens and, and guests, all believers in Christ become fellow citizens of God's kingdom with the saints. The believers from every age who have trusted in God, God's kingdom has no strangers or aliens, no second-class citizens, or our citizenship is in heaven, according to Philippians 3.20. So what is a citizen? What is a citizen? A citizen is a native or naturalized person who owes allegiance to a government and is entitled to protection from it. 
That's the Webster's Dictionary definition. And that gives a very clear understanding of what a citizen is from God's perspective is we become a native, a naturalized citizen who owes our allegiance to God and is protected by him. We are now in his household. We are now under his protection. We are now no longer strangers and aliens, but we are now citizens. As a citizen, you have certain rights. I have the right to vote here in the United States. I have the right to move freely throughout the country. I have the right to travel to other countries with a passport that says I am a citizen of the United States. And it gives me certain rights and it gives me certain protection because of my citizenship. Paul is saying, when you are in Christ, you have this, not just this passport, but you've been adopted in. You are now part of the family. You are a member of God's family. It says you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Um, Romans 12, verses 4 through 5 says, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. This doesn't just address me, this addresses us, because we are fellow citizens. We are not alone in this, we have other citizens. Ephesians 4.16 says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians 2, therefore remember that at one time, uh, this is Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, just as we went before we got into this uh, passage that we're in in verse 19. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our flesh, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. That's what we just have studied through before we got to this passage. What he is talking about is the fact that we our fellow citizens with the saints. So we're not only just not strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the other saints. We are participating. There's a teamwork. There's a team mentality. When we have a team mentality, using a sports analogy, because it is Sunday, so we'll talk about football. Whenever you, whenever you think of a football team, there's 53 men on that roster, 53 people. And each of them serves a role, 
plays a role, participates in a role. One guy's a quarterback, some are linemen, receivers, running backs, defensive backs, linebackers, special teams, kickers, punters, long snappers. There's all these different people that participate in that team. And they each get up every day at their own house and they work out and they study film and they're figuring out how to get better and they come together and they function as a team and they study together and hey, how can we get better and how can what I do affects what you do, how can I do this better? They're continuing to improve and that's the mindset of a team. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul is sharing with the Ephesians, you are fellow citizens. You are fellow citizens. You are on the same team with the other believers. So if that is the case, and that's what's being talked about, then we have to think about what am I doing to be a good citizen, and what am I doing to support my fellow citizens? How am I functioning in the church with other believers, supporting them, encouraging them, strengthening them? Am I growing? Am I getting up every day and working out so that I come to the team and I have something to offer, that I have something to participate, I have something to encourage with? How do I work out at home? Am I spending time in God's Word? Am I spending time in prayer? Am I memorizing Scripture? Am I meditating on Scripture? Am I growing in my understanding of who God is? Am I understanding a world perspective that is not based on this world, but based on Scripture? Am I growing in that way so that I can come and participate with the other saints? That's something that we are called to do because of the position that we are in, because we are united in God's family and are of God's household. We are of God's household. So first of all, uh, under two, we are fellow citizens with the saints. And the second point he makes is we are of God's household. We are of God's household. So as if being members of his divine kingdom were not enough, God's gracious work in Christ Jesus draws us even closer and makes us members of his household. So when we become one with Christ, when we confess and believe in Jesus Christ and become a true believer, we are now no longer strangers and aliens. We are fellow citizens with the saints and we are of God's household. So the mindset of a household is definitely understandable. We can understand the mindset of a household. Everybody here is a part of a home in some way, shape, or form. Every home looks different, but we're a part of one. Um, the way my home functions is I have, up until recently, there's myself and Mandy and Davis and Faith. And then our two children have abandoned us. One of them got married and moved off with Jacob and Davis moved out three weeks ago to move to Carrollton. So they're gone, they're dead to us. No, they're not. <laughs> the grocery bill is much less, I will say that. So that is a benefit to this household. 
Um, but no, whenever you're a member of my household, here's certain things that you get to participate in. Um, we have doors that lock and garage doors. You can come into our home and have safety. I provide safety. Uh, I provide water and air conditioning and heating and lights that come on because I pay for all those things. And I provide those to Davis and Faith. They didn't have to pay for any of that. Um, we provided all the food that they want, that they need. We provide all that. We encourage them. We challenge them. We train them. We home educated them. Mandy home educated them. Um, we spent time in uh, working through emotional challenges. We supported them. We loved on them when they needed to be loved on. I handed out licks when that needed to be happen, happened too, when they were younger. I, we, that's the things that we did for them because we desired to grow them into godly men and women. That's what we wanted. And we provided those things to them. That's what they got as being a member of my household. How much more would God do for you and me than I did for Davis and Faith? God has limitless resources. He can do anything he wants to do. He has all the power in the world. He has all the knowledge in the world. He has all the might and uh, everything. God loves you more than I could ever love my kids. More. And God says, you are a part of my household. You are in my home. Not as a stranger, not, no longer an alien, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are a part of God's household. Because we have identified ourselves with his son by faith, God now sees us and treats us as exactly as he treats his own son with infinite love. Because the father cannot give anything but the best to his son, he cannot give anything but the best to us because he's viewing us as he views Christ. Heavenly citizenship and family membership are not distinct roles or positions, but simply different views of the same reality because every kingdom citizen is a family member and every family member is a kingdom citizen. <clears throat> if believers have no distinctions before God, they should have no distinctions among themselves. When we walk into here with other believers, we should see no distinctions. We are fellow citizens and fellow family members, equal in every spiritual way, because we have a standing before God in Christ Jesus. No matter what you're wearing, no matter what height you are, or weight you are, or race you are, you are in Christ. And that's how God views you. And that's how we should view each other. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and of and the same judgment. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind towards one another. That's how we're supposed to respond in the household 
to our fellow believers. Philippians 2.2, 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Colossians 3.14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, our first point, A, was our present state in Christ. B is how it was achieved. How it was achieved. Verse 20 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundation of the apostles and prophets refers to the divine revelation that they taught, which is written in the New Testament. We have all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, prophets from the Old Testament, and then the apostles in the New Testament. This is the divine revelation of God. The meaning is not that the apostles and the prophets were themselves the foundation. They, uh, in a certain sense, they were a part of it, but that they laid the foundation. They were a part of laying the foundation. Paul spoke of himself as a wise master builder. That's he, how he referred to himself, who laid a foundation. And he said in 1 Corinthians 3.10, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Everything that was laid by Christ Jesus that was built upon, all that he had poured into the apostles and taught them, trained them, and then through the Holy Spirit... They allowed, the Holy Spirit allowed them to recall and recount all the things that Christ had done and all that he had taught, and that's how we have the truth of his word. These are the New Testament prophets, as indicated by the facts that they were listed as, with the, as the apostles and are part of the building of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here, that all these things... Us no longer being aliens and uh, foreigners and, and, and not known by God. We are now fellow citizens with the saints and are part of God's household. And that was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's the mindset, that's the understanding that Paul wanted the Ephesians to have, that all this was built on a foundation of the apostles, which they were lay, stood on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what they needed to understand. The fact that they were identified with the foundation reveals that they were limited to that formative period. They were not the cornerstone they built on the foundation. The cornerstone of the foundation is Jesus Christ himself. Now, talking about construction, I deal with this. So every time we sell a job, it, they don't use the term cornerstone, but every time we sell a job, I'm construction, and we do masonry and drywall and plaster and all this kind of stuff. So anytime a new school is being built, let's say, in the contract, it says that we, my company, is responsible for all the layout of the project. So where all the walls go, block walls, drywall, stud walls, we lay out the entire building, okay? So we're responsible for that. 
But it says in the contract that we provide layout from control lines established by somebody else. So every building, before they start building a building, they have a surveyor come out and they have a big piece of dirt ground and they're gonna start building. And they start the dirt work and then they start the underground utilities and the piers and the foundation and the concrete and they lay all that and then we come and build the walls on it, okay? But the very first thing they do is they establish the control lines. So they have a surveyor come out and they survey and they say, here's the corners of the properties and here's the exact corner. They give you a control line and say, this is the exact corner of the building. So we give you control lines and then we come and lay out off of that. Okay, so what would happen if that control line that, that they give you, if it was wrong. What happens? I've experienced this on jobs. In fact, there was an there's an assisted living center in South Lake right now that this happened on, that we built many, many, many years ago. We came out to lay out the walls and the foundation was out of square like this, significantly. So you start laying out the wall, and if we'd have stayed straight, our wall would have started, and then by the time we got to the other end of the, the wall, our wall would have been hanging off the concrete like six inches. It was that much out of square. What happened? The surveyor didn't go off of the right benchmarks and the right control lines whenever they laid out the building. That was a huge problem. Gratefully, it's fixed, and there's old people living in it today and no one's died so we're all good I said they're not old trust me every year they get younger <laughs> to me the cornerstone was the major structural part of an ancient building it had to be strong enough to support what was built on it and what they would do is whenever they would begin building a building in the olden times is they would have a cornerstone. Once they got that laid out, they would lay everything. What they would do is they would set that cornerstone and that cornerstone, everything would be laid off of that cornerstone. They didn't have digital control lines and benchmarks and things like that, but everything would be laid off of that cornerstone. So they would set it and say, okay, this is square. Everything's to be built off of this and up off of this. And this is the cornerstone. Everything came off of it. It had to be strong enough to build what was, support, uh, what was built on it. It had to be precisely laid because every other part of the structure was orientated to it. The cornerstone was the support, the orientator, and the unifier of the entire building. That's what the cornerstone was. That is what Jesus Christ is to God's kingdom. That's who he is to his family and to God's building. So, C... Last point is for what purpose? For what purpose? In whom, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It is Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone 
in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of the Lord. That's the purpose. That is what God is doing. He is growing us together as fellow citizens, as part of his household, into a holy temple. How does that work? And I thought about saying, I am a stud, and make it a play off of that, but I'm not going to do that because that wouldn't be cool. Um, no, how do we, how are we built into a temple? How, is, how does that happen? It says that the church is not a building. It's made up of fellow believers, right? That's what the church is. Fellow saints, fellow citizens. And as we come together and as we become, if people become believers, God is growing that church. He's growing it. That we are fitted together. This refers to carefully joining of every component, component in a piece, like in a piece of furniture. Everything has to be exact. Everything has to go together. Every part is precisely cut to fit snugly, strongly, and beautifully with every other part in a piece of furniture or in a house. Or in a building. Nothing is out of place, defective, misshapen, or inappropriate. Because it is Christ's building, the church is perfect, spotless, without defect or blemish. That's what we are. And that is how he will one day present the church, his holy temple, to himself. Talks about that in Ephesians 5 7. Christ's body will not be complete until every person who will believe in him has done so. That is part of the purpose of us as believers is to be a witness and a testimony of Jesus Christ so that everybody has opportunity to hear the truth of the chief cornerstone of our foundation, Jesus Christ. Many cathedrals in Europe have been under construction for years. Many projects have been under construction for many, many years. Took long times to build. Colosseum in Rome took 10 years to build. Uh, the Parthenon in Greece took 17 years to build. St. <coughs> Basil's Cathedral in Russia took 123 years to build. Uh, St. Peter's Basilica took 144 years. The York Minster Cathedral uh, took 252 years to build. Petra in the Jordan Desert, 850 years. The Great Wall of China was being worked on for over 2,000 years. Huge, long construction projects. Jesus Christ is still building his church. And he's building it by the witness and a testimony of his word and the truth of his word and the witness and testimony of fellow believers. That's how he's building his church. That's what he's doing. That's how he's growing it. And it's our responsibility and what Paul wanted the Ephesians to know and for us to know is our position, who we are, what is our identity. This is our identity. We are part of the holy temple of God because we are in Christ. So it changes our mindset. It changes our focus how we spend our time, 
how we spend time and who we talk to when we walk in here, how we encourage each other because we are part of that body together. And if you are not a part of that, everything that Paul was saying you are, if you are in Christ, the opposite of that is true. If you are out of Christ, you are a stranger and you are an alien to him. And you are not a part of his household. And eternity has a big difference for you because you are outside. He has given us the truth of his word. He has witnessed to us. It says even, in, even when we walk outside, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. That's what God does. He witnesses to you and says, I want you to accept my love in the form of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. My love of you. Because I want you to be a part of my family. But it takes you recognizing the only way you can be made right to me is through Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we stand just humbled by the fact that you loved us so much that you were willing to give your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That, Father, you have invested so much in your word, in teaching us, in training us, of drawing us to yourself, of your creation which declares your glory and wit is a witness of your love for us. Father, so many times we forget you. We do not identify ourselves with you. Instead, we identify ourselves with the things of this world. I pray that you would forgive us for having a worldly mindset. I pray that you would forgive us for seeking after things that are not eternal. But Father, I pray that you would help those that are believers to understand and the part that they play in your family in being a fellow citizen with the saints and that we are part of God's household and what that means and how we're to act and how we're to respond to that and how we're to be a representative of you when we walk out of your home. That we are a witness and a testimony of the love of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you bless the remainder of this day in our worship and our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.